Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Hallelujah. Well, Shabbat Shalom. We are in a continuing series on the book of Mark. Today is part 19. We're almost halfway there. <laughs> and we're going to look at a portion of Mark chapter 8 today. And to see how Yeshua opens eyes, uh, both physically uh, and spiritually. So turn me, please, to Mark 8, beginning in verse 22. I'll have it on the overhead as well. And I encourage everyone watching at home to, uh, to, to turn to their uh, scriptures as well. Uh, they came to Bethsaida. And see, some people brought a, a blind man and begged Yeshua to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes... And put his hands on him. Yeshua asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. (laughs) So once more, Yeshua put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Yeshua sent him home saying, don't even go to the villages. uh, To the village. Yeshua and his disciples then went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say, Yochanan, Hamabil, John the Baptist. Others say, Eliyahu, Elijah. So others, one of the Nevaim, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Shimon Kepa, Peter, answered, you are the Mashiach, the Messiah. And he sure warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the Torah teachers and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Amen. The first half of the book of Mark, the first eight chapters, revolves around one question. Who is this Yeshua? Yeshua, he's doing all these amazing miracles giving all these astonishing teachings. Uh, uh, Who is he? At the end of chapter 8, we have the climax of the first half uh, of the book. Yeshua, I'm sorry, Peter gives to Yeshua this inspired answer. Peter gives his inspired answer, his great confession of faith, that Yeshua is the Messiah. And we'll spend the entire message on on this in great detail next week, uh, God willing. But today we're going to start to look at this by focusing on uh, this healing miracle It takes place right before this great confession. It's a unique miracle. It's the only miracle where apparently Yeshua's power doesn't seem to work the first time. At least on the surface, it seems like Yeshua says, be healed. Did it work? No? Oh, okay, let's try again. Be healed. Okay, now it works. (laughs) At least that's what it looks like. Uh, So this is very strange. And why does Mark put this story right here after the disciples being clueless about Yeshua's warning about the leaven of the Pharisees? Uh, I mean, before Peter's great confession of faith that Yeshua is the Messiah, and then Yeshua having to rebuke Peter uh, for opposing him going to the cross. I think this account is strategically placed here to teach us something. And in particular, to teach us three things we'll put on the overhead. Uh, number one, We're all spiritually blind. Number two, 
what we're blind to. And number three, how we can be healed of this blindness. So first we learn that, that we're all spiritually, spiritually blind. And this is highlighted if we put this in the context of the rest of chapter 8. In, in the first part of the chapter, Mark, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 21, which we did not read today, it's all about the spiritual blindness of the disciples. It's about how the disciples, they just don't get it. Uh, don't get what? They don't get the magnitude of who Yeshua is. He's not just a rabbi or a teacher. He's not just a political leader. And so Yeshua says to his disciples in Mark 8.21, the verse right before our verses, he says, do you still not understand? So we had this discussion before the miracle of the blind man of the disciples' spiritual blindness. And then right afterwards, we had the revelation of Peter finally getting who Yeshua is, at least in part, in stages, if you will. Uh, so why does Mark highlight that this little healing miracle right smack in the middle of all this? Uh, well, first of all, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a sign, it's a sign that Yeshua is the Messiah. Note that there are no examples in the entire Hebrew scriptures of anyone being able to give sight to the blind. In Judaism, by the way, traditional Judaism, giving sight to the blind was actually seen as more difficult than even raising the dead. Uh, and that only one, and, and, and that only God himself or his anointed one could perform this kind of miracle. So it's a great sign uh, on the overhead, though. But the real question uh, is, why does Mark bring this out here? And the answer is, because this is not just a miracle. It's also a parable. When Yeshua heals, every time he does it differently. Uh, he sometimes spits on their eyes or on their ears. Sometimes he says something. Sometimes he says nothing. Sometimes he lays his hand, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he's right next to the person. Sometimes he heals from a distance and the person's not even there. We've seen Yeshua can heal with just a thought. He can do it across town. Uh, He can heal a hurricane. (laughs) He can raise the dead. Uh, And therefore, whenever we see specific details that he's doing it in a particular way, like here in in two stages... He never does it because he has to do it that way. No. But rather it's because the recipients or those watching, the disciples uh, and us, because we need these details. Yeshua is doing it this way, not just to heal the man, but to teach a lesson. Uh, And what's he teaching on the overhead? Uh, He's teaching about the pervasiveness of spiritual blindness. This man is a symbol for everything else going on in this chapter. This two-stage healing is meant to be a parable on the pervasiveness of spiritual blindness and to point out that that no one will be able to really tell who Yeshua is, uh, the magnitude of who he really is, without external, divine, supernatural, spiritual intervention and help. Yeshua is talking about the pervasiveness of spiritual blindness. Uh, and this chapter tells us it's pervasive in two ways on the overhead. First of all, it's pervasive in breath. Everybody's spiritually blind. The first part of chapter 8 shows, shows us the spiritual blindness of both the disciples and the religious leaders. This is indicating we're all spiritually blind. You see, the Bible's view of right and wrong is unique. Uh, it's totally unlike, for example, modern secularism, 
which says right and wrong are just socially constructed, uh, and thus they're just relative. And the Bible's view of right and wrong also doesn't reflect the ancient traditional dualism, which says that the world is divided uh, into the good people and the bad people. Uh, there's the good people who see the truth uh, and love the truth, and there's the bad people who resist the truth and are blind. The Bible does not take this view, because dualism leads to oppression and totalitarianism uh, and fascism on either the right or, more recently, uh, especially on the left. It ultimately leads to, to genocide. In contrast, the Bible says everyone is blind. The disciples and the religious leaders, uh, the friends of Yeshua and the enemies of Yeshua, uh, the blue-collar people and the white-collar people, uh, the insiders and the outsiders, the moral and the immoral, everybody. Nobody gets it. We're all spiritually blind. It's that pervasive. The Bible favors no one. Look at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So that's point number one, the, the breadth of spiritual blindness. And then the overhead, it was also told, number two, about the depth of, of, of spiritual blindness. And then the overhead again. Therefore, Yeshua is trying to show here that it takes more than one touch to cure spiritual blindness. It's that deep. Spiritual blindness is so deep, it doesn't go away with just one touch. There are stages. Uh, there are multiple touches that are necessary. Uh, it's a process of, of revelation and illumination. Even when our spiritual sight is cleared up to, enough to see who Yeshua is and to have a saving relationship with him, our life is still not cleared up enough to immediately live the life that we should be living, is it? Our spiritual sight does not totally clear up overnight because it's so deep and it clings to us so much. Now, if that's the case, uh, that it's pervasive in both its depth and its breadth, what are some practical implications of this biblical truth? Well, first of all, if you, if you're, if you are a committed Yeshua follower, you must never feel superior to anybody else. Uh, you mustn't look down your nose at other people who aren't believers or aren't, aren't as committed as you are. Now, there's something, something that's naturally in our hearts when you're so sure of something and, you, and you're, you're talking to someone who just doesn't see it. You tend to say subconsciously in your heart, you fool. <laughs> Why can't you see this? Why are you so blind to this, this obvious truth? But to think that we're superior to those who don't have the same sight as we have actually is a form of blindness itself. We're still partially blind, spiritually, if we're judgmental towards others uh, who don't see everything that, that we see. Indeed, the way you know that your spiritual sight is cleared is that you can now see for the first time how unclear it really is. The way you know you're starting to see right is that you finally realize how little you see aright. It's a sign that your spiritual sight is clearing up when you realize how much of a gift it is. And which should put to death all forms of spiritual pride. If you're growing in the Lord, uh, your 10 year from now self will look back today on your current self and call yourself a fool. <laughs> so we're all fools today c compared to what we can mature to down the road 5, 10 years from now. And this realization should keep us humble. It should keep us from looking down our nose at others. So don't be arrogant and spiritually proud of, towards others who don't yet have your spiritual insight. 
Because it's all a gift from God. Amen. Uh, so, we will all, so we're all spiritually blind. Uh, and this includes, of course, anyone today who's in this room who's hearing my voice or who hears it later on in a recording. Anyone who doesn't know, quite know yet what they believe about Yeshua. And if this is you today or hearing my voice, please see that encountering Yeshua and having your life changed by him is not like adopting a religion. Adopting religion is something you can do on your own power. Uh, it, it, it summons, it's summonsing up the power to do what you know you should do. Uh, people often say, well, I know I really should lead a better life. Uh, it would be good if I would pray. Uh, it would be good if I could connect to God. It would be good if I were more spiritual. Okay, I will be. Uh, I'll find a religion that I like, and I'll adopt it. And I'll start to do the observances and the practices you see, that's adopting a religion. Uh, but that's not the way your life is changed by meeting Yeshua, the Messiah. Because a relationship with Yeshua, it's just that. It's a relationship. You, know, you can go up to a person, but if that person doesn't let you see who they are, uh, if that person doesn't reveal themselves to you, then you're not having a relationship. To have a relationship, that person has to give you sight and insight into them. You, you've, got to, uh, you've got to give uh, your sight, you've got to, to give your sight into their heart, the other person's heart, or it's not going to happen. You just can't say, I'm going to adopt Messianic faith. Uh, I'm going to start attending shul, uh, I'll start to pray, I'll start to, to believe its doctrines, I'll start to observe its practices. No, it doesn't work that way. And the overhead. Rather, you need to cry out to Yeshua. Lord Yeshua, I know that I don't see right. I want to see you. Give me spiritual sight. Uh, I know I'm spiritually blind. Open my eyes. And if you're not willing to do that, then there's absolutely no way for you to have a relationship with him. No way. Here's an example of getting sight. I know someone years ago when I was growing up uh, who would never wear their seatbelt. Uh, this is years ago before the days when the cars would incessantly beep and beep at you if your seatbelt wasn't on. <laughs> I used to bug him about this all the time. You, know, you need to wear your seatbelt. Oh, it's too confining. Uh, I don't like it. Uh, it's a pain to wear. One day he started wearing it. I said, hey, you're wearing your seatbelt. Makarah, What happened? <laughs> Well, it turns out that a friend of his had been in a car accident. The friend did not have a seatbelt on and went through the windshield. He lived, but his face was all cut up. He had to have over 100 stitches. Uh, so now my friend wore his seatbelt. <laughs> so I asked him, so you didn't know the dangers of not wearing a seatbelt? <laughs> what, what did my friend say to me? He said, well, I knew, but I didn't know. <laughs> I knew all the statistics. I didn't get any new information. But I really didn't know it deep down. I didn't really see it. It wasn't driven home to me in this kind of compelling, powerful, life-changing way until I saw my friend in the hospital. Well, in the same way, there's no one who's ever met Yeshua and Yeshua really changed their life who doesn't look back and say... You know, I thought I knew those things, but I didn't really see them. How could I have been so blind? 
No, I heard the gospel truth a hundred times. But then it became real to me. Then it, it changed my life. As the man born blind who Yeshua healed, uh, said in Mark 9, 25, a different account, different man, he said, one thing I know on the overhead, Mark 9, 25, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. If that's not happening to you, you're not yet finding Yeshua. So on the overhead, number one, we're all spiritually blind. Number two, what are we blind to? What's the root of our spiritual blindness? What does it mean? You see, there are many layers uh, to spiritual blindness. Uh, and we all understand this at some level. You know, every one of us sometimes goes through something where you really screw something up. Uh, something explodes on you. Uh, for you, you mess up a relationship uh, or a job or, or a project. And you look back five years later and you say... I was so blind. Now, I knew it, but I didn't know it. Uh, I had the data, but I didn't know what it really meant. Uh, I didn't get it. Uh, it didn't register. It didn't sink in. I was such an idiot. Now, what is that? It's not like you got new information. It's not like you actually, uh, literally, physically saw, see something uh, different. No. It's you realize you were spiritually blind. Now, why are we so prone to this, all of us? Uh, why does this sort, of, this sort of thing happen all the time? It's because there is a root to our spiritual blindness. Uh, there's a foundation, something that we're blind to, that's at the heart of all our other blindness. And the claims of Yeshua throw this root of our blindness into stark relief. So let's first look at Yeshua's claims, and then we can figure out what, what this root is. So look at Mark 8, 27. Yeshua and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I, say I am? Mark seven twenty eight. They replied, some say Yohanan Hamapil, John the Immerser. Others, Eliyahu, the Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And here's where we see the difference between Yeshua and all the other founders of all the other major religions in the world. Muhammad, Moses, Buddha, Confucius. They never walked around talking like this. Uh, they walked around pointing people to God. They went around pointing people to the pathway to God. But they never went around talking like this. Now, can you imagine if you had a professor in college... And after three years of classes with this professor, he finally said, Okay, class, I want you to know that the main thing I've been trying to get, get you to understand for the last three years, it all boils down to this. Do you know who I really am? You'd want your tuition back, wouldn't you? <laughs> You'd want to put him away. But that's the equivalent of what Yeshua is doing here on the overhead. He's saying... Let me tell you what it's really all about. Let me tell you what ultimate reality is all about. What do you think of me? How do you relate to me? No one else ever said anything like this. You know why? Well, what is Yeshua saying when he asks, who do people say I am? Uh, they say John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Of course, you could add Moses, Mohammed, Buddha... 
They're saying, you're right up there, Yeshua. You're, you're up there with the best of them. Uh, you're one of the all-stars. Uh, you're one of the great sages. Uh, you're one of the great wise men of history. You're even one of the prophets. And Yeshua says, no. I've come not to show you, like the rest of them, how to save yourself or how to purify yourself or how to find nirvana or, or enlightenment yourself. No. I've come to save you. I've not come to show you how to live the life you should live and die good, a good godly de- death like you should die on the overhead. No. Whether I've come to live the life you should have lived but never will. And I've come to die the death you should have died for your sins and disobedience and rebellion. I've come to do this in your place as your substitute, as your savior, taking on the penalty you deserve on the overhead. I am the Lord of heaven. I've not come to point you to God. I'm bringing God to you. I am God come to save you. It doesn't take divine intervention to believe that Yeshua is just one of the great ones, like John the Baptist or Elijah or Moses. But it does take divine intervention to believe that he's God and the ultimate savior and that you absolutely need him or you have no hope. On the overhead, why does this revelation take divine intervention? Because Yeshua's claims throw into relief the one thing we're most afraid of admitting. Our own insufficiency. We're addicted to self-sufficiency. If you go to an addict and you say, you're addicted to a substance or you're addicted to alcohol. What will he say? The addict will say, well, well I drink, uh, but I'm not controlled by it. You know, I can handle it. I can stop anytime I want to. I'm not that bad off. But the paradox of alcoholism is that it's not, it's not until you say I'm out of control that you actually start to become less out of control. Not until you say I'm powerless over my own problems and helpless do you begin to have some power. Not until you say I'm blind and in denial do you actually begin to see your true situation. Now the Bible comes in a kind of macro intervention, if you will, to the whole human race. Uh, Do you know what the Bible says to you? The Bible says you're absolutely controlled by self-centeredness and pride. That's why you're blind all the time. That's why you're making all the wrong decisions and making wrong assessments of your situation and, and of what other people are saying and doing on the overhead. You absolutely dominated and controlled by self-centeredness and pride and the myth of self-sufficiency, thinking you can really handle your own problems if you just get a little bit of help. And what do we say? Typically we say, well, yes, maybe I am a little bit selfish sometimes to a degree, but I'm not controlled by it. I'm not out of control. I know my flaws. Uh, and I'd be fine with a little bit of help from time to time. I don't need an absolute savior. <laughs> I'm not totally spiritually helpless. I'm not doomed to hell unless someone comes in with radical grace and saves me. Not me. Uh, that's offensive. Do you know why it's offensive? 
Because the Bible says you're in denial. You're in denial about how much inhumanity your heart is capable of. And you don't want to admit it. You're in denial about how impossible it is for you to fundamentally change anything really important about yourself. You're in denial about how the sufferings and difficulties and problems of life are such that you will never be able to handle them on your own spiritual strength. You're in denial on the overhead. And here's why. We're desperately afraid to admit that we're not competent to run our own life. We're absolutely in denial of our own spiritual insufficiency and our spiritual inability and spiritual inadequacy. We don't want to admit it. We don't. We're like alcoholics who say, yes, I drink, uh, and occasionally it's a bit of a problem, but I can handle it. No, you can't. And until you see the claims of Yeshua, who says, I'm not just another wise man or sage. I'm the son of God and the son of man. I'm the Lord Almighty and Savior of the world. And you've got to, you've got to center your whole life on me. And you have absolutely no hope without me. That without me, you can do nothing. Until you say this and surrender to it, you're lost. But we say, that's really over the top. (laughs) None of the other religions make claims like this. How dare you say that sort of thing? But we're like an addict. We're in denial of our own sin and inadequacy and our own desperate need for Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah. But only through getting a hold of who Yeshua is does the spiritual root of all our other spiritual blindness get thrown into relief uh, and revealed for what it is. And that's why you must come to grips with the question Yeshua asks. Who do you say I am? That's the only way out of your spiritual blindness. So on the overhead, number one, that's the fact we're all spiritually blind. And number two, that's what we're blind to. And then finally, number three, how can we be healed? How can we get healing and sight? In the overhead, there's three things our text teaches us here. Number one, we have to be healed in stages. Number two, we have to be healed in community. And number three, we have to be healed in confidence. So first, in stages. It's very clear Yeshua heals this man in stages to let us know that our spiritual sight is ordinarily also healed through a very long process. And we certainly see that with the apostles, uh, which is the point Yeshua uh, is purposely, uh, why he's purposely healing this man here in stages, because it's a parable about the apostles' own spiritual sight. The apostles' understanding of who Yeshua is and his ministry also occurs in two stages. So up until the end of chapter 8, the apostles are still basically clueless about who Yeshua is, about him being the Messiah, despite all of his miracles and all of his pronouncements and teachings. And then finally, at the end of chapter 8, at the end of the first half of the gospel, for the first time, Peter confesses Yeshua as the Messiah. And very interestingly, this confession, this great confession, takes place at Caesarea Philippi, which was a headquarters, a center of pagan worship. In the midst of a city dedicated to false gods, Yeshua's true identity is revealed. This is Peter's great confession. That's stage one of his revelation. But Peter's still partially blind, much like the man in, 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 the, in the account. 
Because, he, because then Peter immediately then rebukes Yeshua for declaring that he must suffer and die and rise again. So look at Mark 8.31. Then Yeshua began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the Torah teachers. That he must be killed after th- and then after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter still does not understand the role of Yeshua as Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, the son of Joseph, the suffering servant Messiah, who must suffer and die and rise again as our sin bearer. The disciples, like the rest of Israel, they're only expecting Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David, the conquering king Messiah. Two-stage uh, it's crucial second stage uh, of who Yeshua really is uh, and what he came to do this first time. And they only actually fully get it after the resurrection itself. So like the blind man with his physical healing in two stages, the disciple's spiritual sight also only comes in stages. Because this account is both a miracle and a teaching parable. According to this miracle of the blind man being healed in stages is meant to be seen in light of the spiritual blindness of the disciples themselves. The healing of the blind man is like an acted out parable for Yeshua to teach the truth, this truth to his disciples and to us. Peter must learn that it's not sufficient to only confess Yeshua as the Messiah, but also that he must be crucified. This is the heart of the matter. Uh, For it's what was necessary for Yeshua to do if we would be rescued uh, from death uh, and ransomed from from the realm of darkness. And then finally, we too then are called to bear our cross. And we're going to discuss this in detail next week. So we see here with the disciples that that spiritual sight is healed in stages. And this account is here to let us know that our own spiritual sight is likewise healed through a whole long process. Now there are dramatic conversion experiences, uh, like Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. Uh, he goes from, from persecuting the Messianic believers uh, to a couple of days later preaching the gospel. Total overnight transformation. But that is the exception, not the rule. And even Paul, of course, still had to grow as a believer. But the more common model was not Paul but Peter. We see Peter coming to trust in the person and the work of Yeshua slowly, in stages, all through the gospel of Mark. He confesses Yeshua here as Messiah at the end of the first half, the end of chapter 8. But as we'll look in detail next week, he still doesn't understand the cross. And Yeshua has to rebuke him. At the crucifixion, he denies Yeshua three times. And only after the resurrection does he fully repent and is restored. For his own salvation, to trusting Yeshua. But it's hard to pinpoint exactly where it happens. And because most of us focus on, on the Paul model of dramatic conversion... Versus the quieter, more gradual, and more more common Peter model, were sometimes needlessly filled with self doubts. Dr. David Martin Lloyd Jones, the same as a British preacher in the mid 20th century, he would often counsel people that felt that their own spiritual life was kind of stuck uh, and not progressing. They were stuck between touches, if you will. Uh, They saw, but they didn't see. Some knew that they were sinners who needed God, but they had no understanding or, or assurance of his grace and his love. Uh, they were sort of stuck between touches, if you will, between the, between the negative and the positive. 
others he found were stuck between the, the rational and experiential. Uh, they believed in the gospel intellectually, but they hadn't ca- captured their heart, hadn't captured their life. They weren't able to, to live it out with joy. Uh, and they would ask Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, they would ask them about this parable here, about this, this, this account, the story of the blind man here in Mark chapter 8, eight and ask him, was he healed or not? Uh, Yeshua touches him once, touches him twice. What gives? Uh, am I a believer? I feel like I, I am, at least partially, uh, but I don't always feel it fully. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, answer the question Yeshua asked the blind man. Do you see aright? If this man had not admitted that he still did not see aright, he only saw trees, only saw men walking as trees, maybe Yeshua wouldn't have touched him again. What if when Yeshua asked him, do you see aright? He said, yes, of course I see aright. What are you talking about? I see just fine. If he'd said that, he would have spent the rest of his life cutting down people and talking to trees. But this gives, but this guy here, he had a holy dissatisfaction. He admitted the first touch did not fully work. He confessed, I still don't see it right. And so Yeshua touches him again. So be honest. Be dissatisfied with your level of spiritual sight. And Yeshua will meet you where you're at. Go to Yeshua and say to him, Lord, I don't see a right. And unless you're like Yaakov, like Jacob, and say, Lord, I won't let you go until you bless me. Unless you have this holy dissatisfaction with, with where you're at. And the spiritual desperation where you want more of Yeshua. Unless you want more of his love and more of his righteousness and more of his holiness. Unless you have this attitude... You won't keep growing. Spiritual growth happens in stages. So ask Yeshua, Lord, where am I holding on to this myth of self-sufficiency? Where am I blocking, the clearing up of my own sight? Show me, Lord. Show me. Help me to repent. Help me to repent of wanting to stay in control. Help me to yield fully to you. And please know that if you have this this holy dissatisfaction, if you want to love more, realize that you wouldn't even be capable of this unless he loved you first. So take comfort in that. You're not capable of being dissatisfied with your spiritual sight unless God has already begun to clear it up somewhat. You're not capable, capable of wanting his love unless he's already given it to you. On the overhead. So no, number one, you are healed in stages. Number two, you are also healed in community. Look at Mark 8, 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Yeshua to touch him. Do you think this blind man would have ever found Yeshua on his own? Of course not. He was blind. He couldn't see. <laughs> friends of his who could see brought him to Yeshua. How do I know they were his friends? Because it says they begged Yeshua to touch him. They were praying this man into Yeshua's hands. They they were loving him into Yeshua's hands. And that's why he came to see. 
Now, most people whose spiritual sight is cleared up don't get there just because they say, I, uh, as a lone individual, I'm going to start coming to shul. Uh, I'm going to take notes. Uh, I'm on the drosh, on the sermon. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to get my spiritual side cleared up. It doesn't usually work that way. But we modern people, we tend to be very private, don't we? Uh, we like to sit in the back row of a mega congregation where we can be anonymous. If someone asks us, do you see it right? Our knee-jerk response is to get very offended, isn't it? <laughs> but by this intrusive, nosy person. How dare you? Mind your own business. <laughs> but your spiritual sight is not normally healed by being a lone ranger or a lone wolf. You also need help from people who see better than you do. To help you see it right. We are meant to live in community. Judaism is meant to be lived out in community. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to forge deep relationships here at time? Are you willing to have a mentor? Uh, or to be a mentor? Uh, to get involved? Get involved in a home group? Uh, participate in a men's and women's meeting? Uh, Bible studies? The youth group? Uh, the Hispanic ministry? We need to fight against our natural, worldly, carnal, fleshly tendency towards self-sufficiency. You've got to process the truths you're learning together with friends. Yeshua faith is not just some philosophy that you follow in order to save yourself. So just listen to a teaching on your own on YouTube, or even here in person, and then immediately going back home, isn't how salvation and spiritual growth works. Rather, it tends to work through spiritual friendship and covenant community. You need friends to think out uh, and to work out and to apply the biblical truths you're hopefully learning each week. So on the overhead, number one, spiritual sight, it's cleared up in stages. Number two, it's cleared up in community. Finally, number three, it's cleared up in confidence. What do I mean by this? You've got to have confidence in order to grow spiritually. What does this mean? We often don't want to admit our own insufficiency because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be exposed. Our pride and our fear get in the way. You see, the problem with confessing that I'm powerless over my own problems, uh, that I need help, that I don't see a right, is that we, do, is that we don't want to lose our independence. We don't want to become dependent on the Lord or, or on spiritual friends and mentors. We're scared they might use us. Or scared that I'll look weak uh, and I'll lose face. Uh, or scared I'll lose my freedom to do whatever I want to do. Uh, and not to be, we don't want to be accountable to anybody. Uh, you, you feel vulnerable because you don't have the confidence to say, Lord, I don't see a right. I surrender to you. Clear up my sight. But you shrink back from this because you're afraid of what the Lord might show you. You're afraid what the Lord might show you about yourself or how you should live. So you've got to trust the Lord and get confidence. And here's how you get it. You need to see the ultimate way that Yeshua cleared your spiritual blindness. And that will give you the confidence to let him apply that same antidote to your life. How did Yeshua cure your spiritual blindness? It's hinted at here in Mark 8, verse 30. It says, Yeshua warned them not to tell anyone about him. Over and over again, 
Yeshua heals people, reveals certain truths about himself to people, performs all these miracles. And then he always says, don't tell anyone about me. Don't tell anyone about this miracle. He does this constantly throughout the gospel. Why? Yeshua knows, of course, eventually that the word of what he's capable of, you know, raising the dead, <laughs> calming the sea, healing the blind, word of what he's capable of will eventually get to, to the Roman authorities and to the Jewish religious authorities, and they will have to kill him. Because he stands against everything they stand for. And that he has this kind of power. Uh, so they view him, and especially the Jewish religious authorities view him as a threat uh, to their power. And so he must be silenced. Just like the deep state silences anyone who threatens their power today. So Yeshua keeps saying nothing. Tell anybody about him. Because the timing is not right yet. He still has work to do before he goes to the cross. No one takes his life. He voluntarily lays it down. But only on his own divine timetable at the fullness of time. So on the overhead... The main point to see here is that, is that every time Yeshua uses his redemptive power, he's putting nails in his own coffin. Every time he heals someone, every time he does something good, he's driving the nails into his own hands. And if you scroll down to the end of the book of Mark, you'll see the exact opposite of what he just did. So, for example, when he's on the cross, we read this in Mark 15, verse 33. At the sixth hour at noon, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Yeshua cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the overhead, on the cross, there was an eclipse. An absolute physical darkness. But it was only an image of the complete spiritual darkness into which Yeshua was plunged. On the cross, Yeshua lost the cosmic light of his father's love. Why did Yeshua get plunged into darkness? It's the opposite of what we see here in Mark chapter 8. Yeshua brings this man out of darkness, uh, into the light. Why? Why was he able to heal this blind man? Because Yeshua was ultimately willing to leave the light and be plunged into absolute darkness. To see our blindness ended, he must be plunged into darkness. And he does it. And he did it for you. And for you. And for me. Does this move you? Do you realize your value to him? Do you realize what he gave up for you? And if it moves you, it will make you want to be holy. If it moves you, you will gain assurance of who you are in him. As it moves you, as it moves you, you will want to spread the good news of Yeshua to everyone you meet. If you see yourself moving in this direction, it's because your sight is clearing. Spiritual sight does not get cured by some kind of abstract truth. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of what Messiah did on the tree, on the execution stake, on the cross. It's known that he was plunged into darkness on your behalf. They will bring light into your heart. And to the degree it does, to that degree it begins, it begins to clear up your sight. Do you see this? You have to have this confidence. 
By looking at what he did to cure you, to cure your spiritual blindness, you can then look to Yeshua and say, Yeshua, I don't see it right. Open my eyes, Lord. Clear my sight. I put my trust wholly and fully in you. Amen. Let's stand and pray. The music team, please come up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Lord, we confess today, in many ways, we are still spiritually blind. We need your sight, Lord. We need the sight that only you, Yeshua, can give. So open my eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see more of you, Lord Yeshua. Lord, we've heard the gospel many times. But did we really hear? Did we really see? Make your gospel real to me, Yeshua. Have it grip me today in a new way. Change my life. Make me like the man born blind. One thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. Lord, I confess my own insufficiency, my own inadequacy, my own self-centeredness and pride uh, and living in denial. I cannot save myself. I am wholly dependent on you. And so I throw myself on your mercy and dedicate my life wholly to serve you, Lord, and to live for you, Lord Yeshua. Only you can change me from the inside out. Only you can give me a new heart and a new spirit and cleanse me and cause me to walk in your ways. And we realize, Lord, that our healing and our sanctification is a process. It happens in stages. So help me, Lord, to persevere, to not grow weary in doing good. What matters is not just that I start well, but that I finish well. Help me to have a holy dissatisfaction. And I want more of you, Yeshua, and not to let you go until you bless me. Thank you, Lord, that you were plunged into darkness that I might see. We pray this in your holy name, Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.